would remain standing for one more moment and open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read this entire chapter this morning, and I think it's important for us to read the chapter so that we can just envelop ourselves in the creation story. Genesis chapter 1 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. But let's step into the Genesis story and read about our history. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below from the expanse from the waters which were above. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and, he gathered, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the tree bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and to govern the night and to separate the light from the dark. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and everything living, every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and morning, a fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And then God said, Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And let every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. The last verse this morning. God saw all that he was made, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. You may be seated at this time. I want to welcome you again to White Oak Baptist Church this morning. My name is James Yandel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and uh, I'm excited to go through Genesis with you this morning. Uh, But before that, I just want to let you know, you may have missed it, but history was made this past week. I don't know if any of you guys have been following the SpaceX launch. You know what I'm talking about? Some people have been following this. So uh, if you've heard of a guy named Elon Musk, has anyone heard Elon Musk before? Okay, a few people. Uh, He's a very fascinating figure, right? So he's from South Africa, I believe, and he basically started out with nothing, and he used maybe like a small loan and turned it into multi-billion dollar companies. So he is sort of the founder and head of Tesla cars, if you've heard of those before, but he also started a company called SpaceX, and he got really into space travel, right? So he got really into space travel, so he creates this company with some people called SpaceX, and he begins to dream, what would it look like to privatize space travel? And so this past week, they've been working on a rocket, and they actually launched this rocket up into space. And I think I have a picture of it up here. This is the Falcon Heavy rocket, and it is more advanced than any rocket that's out there right now. Like the, space, the NASA space shuttles, this puts them to shame. This is a very advanced rocket. It's so advanced that it's able to go up into space, drop its payload, that little capsule that's at the very top, and then come back down and land again so that they can reuse it. It's an amazing rocket. So this past week, they launched this rocket up into space. And I was reading a CNN article, and this is what it said. It said, this is the new space age. It said it was breathtaking and earth-shattering excitement of watching a massive man-made launch vehicle destined to push something man-made farther than anyone has ever or can imagine. So apparently what they want to do with this little capsule that's at their top, they, they basically sent it up into space and it's going to circle the earth for a little while and then it's going to make a trajectory to Mars, right? So it can orbit Mars for a while. This is, it's an amazing time to be alive. And what I love about Elon Musk is he's kind of an eccentric guy, right? He's a really smart guy, eccentric guy. So what he did, he said, I wanted to send something into space that has some sentimental value. So what he did was he took a cherry, a midnight cherry Tesla Roadster And he put it in the rocket and he launched it out into space. And I think I have a picture of that right here. This is a a real image of a car in space. This is real. This is not the onion. Basically, in that capsule, he had a Tesla Roadster. They put a dummy mannequin in there and they launched this rocket to David Bowie's song, Starman. Right? So they lent, true story, they sent it up into space. So now, apparently, this capsule or whatever is going to be in space and it's going to circle the earth for a little while. And then its final trajectory is to go toward Mars. What a time to be alive. There is a car traveling through space on its way to Mars. I mean, it's just crazy. You can actually go on YouTube and check the live feed of where it's going, right? 
it's an amazing time to be alive. But what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to provide a little bit of perspective. Uh, if you just flip over to the next slide, uh, here's sort of a realistic view of where our solar system is. And if you'll see very up in the top left corner, you see Mercury, Venus, Earth. That's where we're at, that little dot. And we are trying to get to Mars, which is 34 million miles away, right? Not too far away, 34 million miles away. That's where they're trying to send the rocket. So just to give you some perspective, if he was trying to send it to Pluto, he would have to send it 4.6 billion miles away. That's over 100 times farther than Mars. Let me zoom out a little bit more. Uh, one more slide to get up. This is us in our Milky Way galaxy. That little point right there, that's where we're at. And that if you were to travel all the way across the Milky Way galaxy, if you were traveling at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years. Right? It would take you 100,000 years. Because I looked that up. I'm not a science guy, but I think a light year travels about 6 trillion miles in a year. So if you want to multiply 6 trillion times 100,000, that's how long it would take to get across, or that's how many miles it would take to get across the Milky Way galaxy. And if you just do one more thing, these are some of the, uh, flip over, these are some of the galaxies that are near us. We're that little dot in this grand cosmos, and these are just some of the galaxies around us, hundreds of thousands of light years away from us. What I love about the SpaceX story, what I love about Elon Musk and all this, and that it is totally amazing to us. It is an amazing feat of human achievement. And yet it has taken man thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years to go this far into the universe. Literally just one little spot in the universe. It amazes me. If you look at our universe, it is very clear that if the universe is about something, it is certainly not about us. If the universe is about something, it's certainly not about us. And what I love about the book of Genesis is that it gets this so right where we humans get it so wrong. I think the more advanced that we become as a society, I think the more irrelevant that God feels in our lives. I think the more advanced we get with technology and the more we're able to take care of ourselves and the more advanced we get in medicine and in science and different things like that, obviously God is going to feel less and less relevant in our lives. I think God also feels relevant because he's given us the ability to make choices in life. And we can look at two choices in life and we can say, I think this is a pretty good choice. I'm going to take this and we can feel pretty good about that choice. We don't need to consult him. We don't need to pray to him. God's given us the ability to make choices. And so God feels irrelevant sometimes. I think even we as Christians, if we're honest, I think that even we treat God as functionally irrelevant. Like, I'd never say God is irrelevant because I'm a Christian, right? I'm also a pastor. I can never say God's irrelevant. But I think sometimes in our life, we treat God as functionally irrelevant to us. Worship him on Sunday morning. Praise him on Sunday morning. Think about him on Sunday morning. And then go about our lives without thinking about anything about our origins and why we're here and what God wants us to do in our life. I think it's easy for us to see God as irrelevant. I, I heard this quote, I was reading a passage by an atheist, and this is what he said. He says, I conclude that God is simply irrelevant. Even if he existed, or if I believe that he existed, my life wouldn't be any better. And not only is that a good reason to treat God as non-existent, it's a good reason to simply set God aside completely and to waste no more time on the issue. And yet I would argue this morning... That that feeling that we have as humans, our propensity to see God as irrelevant, it's just a mask that sin uses to, to say that he's irrelevant, but in reality, I think he's just ignored. 
I think in our society, God is just ignored. The Bible's biggest critique of humans is not that we make mistakes. We make mistakes all the time. The Bible knows that. God knows that. There's grace for that. The biggest rebuke of the Bible on humans is that God is ignored. In Proverbs, God says, I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction that I offered. Romans 1 says that humans turned away from the wonder and the glory of God for things made by human hands. Maybe SpaceX should read that verse this morning. We traded the glory of God for things made by human hands. But then we step into Genesis. And when we step into Genesis, we begin to see why we're here and the purpose for why we're here. We see that Genesis is a compass for us. It's a compass for how to live life and how God wants us to live our life. And if you know anything about the writing of Genesis, it's the first book of the Bible, so it's very important. But Genesis was actually not the first book of the Bible to be written. You may not know this, but Genesis was written about after some of the other books of the Bible. So if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that God talks to a man named Abraham and says, Hey, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do great things through your line of people. And so Abraham has children. Abraham's children has children and so forth and so forth. And these people end up being called the Israelites. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that eventually they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God raises up a man named who? Moses. There we go. John's a pastor. He should know that, right? So God raises up a man named Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and lead them to a land that God promised to them. And what I love about that story is in the middle of the land, in between Egypt and in between the promised land, there was a big wilderness that they had to cross through. And they spent many, many years in this wilderness. And it was during these wilderness wanderings that God spoke to Moses and Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So when you think about it, these people who have been freed from Egypt and they're on their way, they're sort of lost in the wilderness, learning how to follow and trust God. And in the midst of all that, God writes Genesis and says, hey, I want you guys to have a compass for why you're here and what your purpose is in life. Genesis reminds us that God is big and we are small. Genesis reminds us and it calls us into humility by beckoning us to sit down, be quiet for a moment, and listen to what God has to say about the world that he created. Genesis is a reminder that we are small and God is big. Maybe you're in a wilderness this morning. I know so many of us go through, we're not quite sure what God wants us to do this year or in our lives. Or maybe we we fall into the sin of cynicism and we think that our best is is behind us and not in front of us. This morning, I want to encourage you to treat Genesis as a new beginning for you. Treat Genesis as a a moral compass for you. A a thing that's going to lead you into the future. Because Genesis tells us some fundamental things about our world and about why we're here. We need Genesis. So if you look at verse 1 this morning, man, you could spend a lot of time on verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. What a sentence. Ten words, and so much is packed into ten words. In the beginning, God created. What I love about Genesis 1-1 is that it doesn't argue for God's existence. In Genesis 1-1, you see a proclamation that God is a given. You see a proclamation that God is a given. In Genesis 1-1, God is simply there. 
a reality with which we have to reckon with. He's center stage. He's front and center. He's doing things. Everything that comes after in the beginning, God flows from him and through him and has his purpose in mind. History is his story. Everything springs from God. The opening sentence of the Bible issues a challenge to every person on the earth. It challenges us to reckon with the reality that God is there and that he exists. And I think any one of us who reckons with that reality and sides with the Bible and says that he is here and he is good experiences life change. Anyone who agrees with Genesis that God is here and that he is good experiences a paradigm shift in your life. When you believe that God is a given over this world, you don't have to worry about what happens in the world. When you believe that God is a given over your life, you don't have to worry about what happens in your life. You see, in the Bible, it is page after page and book after book. And in this book, you find God referenced, you find him assumed, you find him worshipped, you find him implied, you find him submitted to, and you see him as a constant governing good reality in and above the events of the Bible. When you see God as a given in your life, you no longer have to worry. You see, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. And I think partly because there is evidence for God, and and that's a a good reason to say that there is a God. But I think it also says that you are foolish if you don't believe that there is a good God because you are taking on yourself pain and fear and burden that you are not meant to bear. Those who don't believe in God take upon themselves a burden that, that says that the outcome of my life is ultimately up to me. And the outcome of this world is ultimately up to me. And that's a burden that we are not meant to bear. Only God is meant to bear that burden. So those who know that God exists, know that God is good, are the ones who can have peace and joy and understanding in their life. Imagine this morning, as you step into Genesis, if you believe that God was a given in any situation of your life. No matter what conversation you're going through, whatever, whatever what situation you're going through, no matter what uh, problems that you're going through, no matter what conflict you're going through, whether it's the start of the day or the end of the day, if you believed God was a given, if you could look your circumstances in the face and say, in the beginning, God created, so I don't have to worry. Do you believe that God is a given this morning? Quick story, uh, a lot of y'all know my four-year-old niece. I reference her a lot up here. She, she makes for great sermon illustrations. That's why I use her all the time. One, time. one day I'll have a kid of my own probably, and I'll use that kid as sermon illustrations. But right now I'll talk about my niece. She's four years old, and she, used, she, she hangs out out here on the steps after service, right? So she's out here on the steps, and she's on the side of the steps, and she's dancing a little bit because we got music out there. We're bumping before and after the service every week, right? So she's dancing on the steps, right? And she's out there, and I'm kind of watching her. I'm right below her on the steps. And, and I'm talking to someone else. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see her sort of rear back and just go full spread eagle leaping toward me, right? She's got her arms out. She's got her legs out. She is leaping toward me. And I catch her sort of right at the last minute, right? I catch her, set her down. She runs off and continues to play. And, and it made me think about, man, imagine this little girl and the world that she lives in. She's surrounded by parents and by adults who protect and love her, and she has this reckless abandon because she knows that she is uh, safe and protected. In the same way, that's what God wants for us. 
He wants us to know that he's a given in our life and that he is taking care of us. He wants us to be brave in life. He wants us to be brave and he wants us to have a reckless faith because we know that God is here and he is going to catch us on the other side of our circumstances. You know, we have the saying here that Christians are eternal optimists. Christians are eternal optimists because we believe that God is going to come through in the best way possible. And the reason we can believe that is because in the Bible it says, in the beginning God created. Therefore God governs our life. We are called to be eternal optimists. God is a given. You see, when you believe God is a given and when you look at Genesis 1-1, it puts all your fears to rest. That your life is not defined by randomness, coincidence, or chance. But instead, it's defined by a good God. And that means that it has purpose and meaning. So not only is Genesis trying to show us that God is a given, but secondly, it shows us that God always creates with purpose. God always creates with purpose. Genesis 1 is trying to tell you something about the way that God intends to interact with the world that he created. If you go back really quickly and look at verse 2, we're not going to go through every verse. Don't worry. I'm sure some of you guys are afraid of that. We're just going to highlight some verses this morning. Uh, Look at verse 2 really quickly. It says, The earth was, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. You see, the world begins without form and was void. And then God comes in and begins to shape it, right? And it goes through this story, this narrative of how God begins to create in a very orderly fashion. In verses 3 through 5, he creates light and calls it day. In verses 6 through 8, he creates the sky and the earth above. In verses 9 and 10, he begins to create waters and dry land. You go on, he begins to create plants and, and seed and all those things. And it says, each according to its kind. And then he goes on and creates land animals and water animals and all these things. And what Genesis is trying to show you is that God does not create haphazardly. That God does not create haphazardly. That he creates everything with intentionality and with purpose. That's what God is trying to show here. That's what it means he created according to their kind. God is always creating with intentionality. Genesis wants you to see this, and this is really important that you see this about the sun and the moon and the birds and the sea animals and and the land animals. And he wants you to see this because if you believe that God created those with purpose, then you believe that God created you with purpose. That he did not create you haphazardly. That you have a purpose in this life and it was given to you by God. Look at verse 26 for a moment. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. God always creates with purpose. If you are here, you can rest assured that you are here because God wants you to be here. That's amazing. If you are here, you are here because God wants you to be here on this earth. He created you with purpose and with intentionality. It says you are made in the image of God. And that means the fingerprint of the divine is on you and on your life. 
God creates with purpose. And I'm talking about you specifically. Not you generally, but you specifically. And I'm not talking about the you of the future. I'm not talking about the you that you want to be. I'm talking about the you of right now. You are made in the image of God. And maybe you, your takeaway this morning for some of us who struggle with our nose or with the way that we're made or our body, our self-esteem issues, our self-image issues. Maybe for you this morning, your takeaway is to not call bad what God said was good. In the morning, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, you see that everything he creates, he says it's good. And then at the very end, he creates humans and he says they're very good. It's a very good creation. This morning, I hope that you see yourself as a creation of God in the image of God. Psalm 139 says, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Maybe for you this morning, your takeaway should be reading Genesis until it soaks into your soul and you know this very well. To be in God's image is to have his goodness and his mercy and his good qualities in you, even though you have the scars of sin over your life. So this morning, if you can hear my voice, if you can see me right now, if you can hear my voice, you are here because God wants you to be here. You are no freak accident. You are not an unplanned pregnancy. You are not the result of faulty contraception. You are here. You are wanted. Even if your parents didn't want you, you are here because God wants you to be here. And he has a purpose for your life. And he has things that he wants you to do and to accomplish and to experience in this life. He did not make a mistake when he made you. Look at verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So very quickly, I'm just going to touch on this. What I love about the Bible is from the very beginning, it makes a distinction between male and female. Amen. There is a distinction between male and female. And what I love about the Bible is right here from the beginning, it recognizes that there are differences between us. And I'm not talking about differences that make one better than the other because I said they're all, we're all in the image of God. So if we had a world that was entirely of men, a world entirely of women, that would not reflect the image of God. Because together, men and women, with our different qualities, our different attributes, we together form a reflection of who God is in his totality. So there's no better or worse, but we are different. Quick question. Do you guys hear about Lady Doritos? Anyone hear about Lady Doritos? Some people, so you may have missed Lady Doritos comment. You may have missed this because you were focused on the Super Bowl selfie kid, you know, following that. You know, he, you know, he went up on uh, Ellen DeGeneres, that show. Justin Timberlake called in and was like, invited him to come to one of his shows. That kid is experiencing his 15 minutes of fame, right? So forget about selfie kid for a minute. Let's talk about Lady Doritos. All right, so apparently the CEO of Pepsi, which makes uh, the Doritos brand, was talking on a, like a talk show or something something like that, some sort of podcast. And she said this, she said, we need a different type of Dorito for women. And I didn't even know we, I didn't know we needed a different type of Dorito, for women, but this is what she said, right? So she said, we need a different type of Dorito for women, quote, because women don't eat Doritos the same way that men do. And I've never noticed, you know, a woman eating a Dorito and how that's different, but she goes on to say this. She says, quote, women don't like to crunch too loudly in public. And they don't like to lick their fingers generously. 
And they don't like to pour the little broken pieces and flavor into their mouths when it's done, right? So this, this is what she said. Now, obviously, the Internet blew up over that, and people are all up in arms. And I'm pretty sure people are marching and protesting in front of the PepsiCo right now. And, and obviously, we don't need more. We don't need to eat, have different kind of Doritos. We probably shouldn't eat Doritos at all, right? But, but this morning, I just bring that up to say is that we in our culture, we don't celebrate the differences between men and women, and yet there are. And what I love about the biblical narrative is that it's honest and it's true. And it says that there are differences. And God did make us male and female. I can assure you, in my vast, vast two months of marital wisdom, (laughs) that God created men and women to process things differently, right? Amen? Women process things differently than men. And the sooner that we recognize that, the sooner that we celebrate that, the more uh, our relationships are going to thrive and to flourish under the way that we were created. The sooner we're going to get off the crazy cycle, as our young couples will know what I'm talking about. So if you're in here this morning, whether you're male or female, you are who you are because God created you to be that. And he always creates with purpose and with intentionality. For our last point this morning, I want you to look at verse 28. So we'll end us off this morning. It says, And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The last thing I love about Genesis is that when you step into this book, you step into a world in which God is good, in which God is creating, in which God is anointing humans with a purpose and with a mission you are in here this morning, you are anointed by God. And for some of us who are struggling with the sin of cynicism, are struggling with hopelessness, are struggling about what is my purpose here in life, my encouragement to you as a pastor this morning is to step into your Genesis. And I put it that way just to help it get into your mind a little bit. What that means is to step into your anointing. That this morning, God has anointed you as a human being to flourish and to grow and to thrive in this world that he created. It said that he blessed humans. He anointed them with a purpose to grow, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And that's not just physically, that's not just having children, but that's also flourishing in a world in which God reigns and is king over us. That's what I love about the gospel narrative. That's what I love about what Jesus Christ had done. Because sin came into the world, turned everything upside down. And what Jesus did, he came back in, he turned the world right side back up again. And he led us back to our original purpose back in Genesis 1, which was to flourish under the reign of God. This morning, if you are a human being in this room, you have the anointing of God over your life. You have the anointing and the calling of God And our response to that is to step into that anointing. It's to step into that anointing. You are a God-anointed being. This morning, as we draw to a close, I believe that it's high time for us as a church to step back into our purpose that God gave us. So many of you have taken so many amazing steps this year. You've taken steps in baptism. You've taken steps in joining in membership in this church. You've taken steps in in servant leadership. You've taken steps in in healing broken marriages and reaching out to friends who need the Lord. You're stepping into your genesis. That's what we're, we're always talking about, your next step. That's what we're talking about this morning. What does it look like for you to step into the anointing that God has over your life? 
God's calling us to do these things, and we're making so much progress as a church. I just want to encourage you that if you're trying to transform your life to be like Jesus Christ, if you're trying to get rid of sin in your life, you're trying to get rid of the cynicism in your life, and you're trying to move forward, I just want to encourage you, don't expect God to do everything at once. If you learn anything from Genesis, you see that God does things in stages. Amen? God does things in stages. The world started formless and void, and then he began to shape it. He created human beings out of the dust first, and then he breathed life into it. Even in saving the world, he didn't start with Jesus Christ. He started this redemptive process that lasted many, many years until Jesus Christ came. So this morning, don't expect God to do everything at once. As you seek to step into your genesis, as you seek to step into your anointing as a church, celebrate the process. Celebrate the growth that God has already done in your life and use that as an encouragement to go forward. God never creates a fully born, fully mature human in the same way none of us are fully mature Christians at the start. This morning, I want to encourage you with that. I want to challenge you to step into your genesis and think about the ways in which God is leading you to serve him in this world, to hearken back to your original purpose, but I also want to give you grace and let you know that Jesus is there with us and he's helping us in these places. So I want to pray over you at this time, just as your pastor in a very personal sense. I invite you to bow your heads at this time as I pray over you. Dear Heavenly Father, your gracious God, gracious creator, you are given in this world. You are more real than even we are. And I pray that we might step into that as a church, Lord, in the individual places of our lives, in the places we are prone to doubt you, in the places where we are prone to say that you are not a given, that you're not there. I pray that we would rebuke those lies and recognize that you are good and have a purpose for our life. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would just challenge us to continue to walk more and more with you. May we no longer walk in the darkness of sin, but may we walk in the light in our intended purpose. Forgive us of our sins, Father, and I just pray that you would be with us this morning. Give us a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of passion. In essence, Lord, we are asking that you would recreate us. We love you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.